0: I digress. Good morning. Welcome, everybody. Uh, especially if you are a visitor, can I welcome you this morning? You're most uh, welcome to be with us. I trust that you're blessed uh, as you share with us. Uh, you will notice, we've mentioned it already, that we've got uh, communion here this morning. We're going to be sharing bread and wine. Uh, if you were here last week, that might be a little bit surprising because we shared bread and wine last week. Um, Paul, in his instructions to the Corinthians, basically says, share this meal whenever you come together. So I think we're on solid ground in that regard. Um, But we're doing it two weeks on the trot for for the simple reason that, that I actually want to talk about, communion this morning. That's a subject... That I want to talk about. I was quite surprised when I came last week, not having told Joe what I was going to talk about, what my plans were. I oh, would we need to see communion here last week. Again, I had this kind of crisis of confidence. What do I do? Do I change my word? Do I say, oh no, we won't worry about having communion after I've spoken about communion. No, I can't do that. And so, Oh, crisis upon crisis. But here we are. I'm going to talk about communion and we're going to have communion. Uh, first, one of the very first times I ever preached in a little Baptist church in South London, which is actually now part of New Ground, amazing how small world we live in. Um, But I I was preaching when they were having communion at the end. And uh, you had this kind of, because it was a Baptist church, you had this kind of ornate table down the front. It had a nice white cloth on it. And it had the bread and the wine and the cups on the cloth. Uh, and I, in my inimitable kind of laid-back fashion, who likes to sort of bob and weave a bit, uh, I would be speaking. And every so often, I, I kind of lean against this table in this kind of very nonchalant you know, laid-back fashion. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, every time I leant against the table, the tablecloth kind of shifted <laughs> an inch or so. And uh, the, the, the lead guy who was uh, running the meeting and who'd actually, you know, asked me to speak, he's sitting down, where Chris, and Chris is now, and he, he was going through this crisis of confidence because every time I led to get to the table, he saw this thing kind of inch a bit and the bread and wine head towards the edge and he thought, do, do I get up and sort of stop him and kind of recenter the communion? Or, or Do I just bluff it out and hope he's not going to lean too much against this table? And I think in the end we bluffed it out and the bread and the wine managed to stay on the Table until the end, but he kind of took me aside afterwards and said, "Next time, kind of leave the communion table alone if you don't mind. That would be kind of really helpful." Um, For anybody who's unfamiliar with the practice of of communion, we're going to be, as it said, sharing bread and wine. It's meant to symbolise the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. It's meant to symbolise his death, remind us remind us of his death does say in Paul's letter to Corinthians, which we'll look at in a moment, that this is a meal for believers. It's a meal for those people who are trusting in Jesus as their saviour. It's a meal for those people that have made a commitment. So we want to include everybody. We want everybody to be as welcome as possible here this morning. But if this morning you're, you're not somebody who can say, I'm trusting Jesus yet, then, then please don't feel any embarrassment in, in passing the bread and wine by. We want to pray with you. We want to worship with you. We want you to feel part of what we're doing in all that we do during the, the, the Sunday mornings. But communion is particularly uh, a meal for believers. Just wanted to stress that because we're going to be focusing on this a lot today. So, for anybody wanting to understand communion, the go-to passage is obviously 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul talks about communion. We read this out most times when we have communion. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me please to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter eleven. Uh, And we're going to read this passage. Just uh, verse 2 to start with, and then we're going to jump ahead to verse 17. Uh, But Paul says this, he says, in the following, actually in verse verse 2, he says, "Uh, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. That's an important verse, verse 2, because Paul is writing to the church and he's saying, There's some things you've got right. There's some things you're doing well in. There's some things I want to commend you for, but he goes on in verse 17 and says this, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One is hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give directions when I come. Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you for your blessings to us today. Just pray you would encourage us and instruct us and enlighten us. As we look at this passage. I thank you so much. Amen. Amen. I love that last phrase there. About other things I will give directions when I come. Paul hasn't finished with the Corinthian church. They've got some things right. They've got some things wrong. which He's correcting this letter. And oh, by the way guys. There's more things I'm bringing when I come and see you. It's a bit like wait till your father gets home. You know, there's more things that we need to discuss. <laughs> See, I think the Corinthian church was a church that, that Paul loved. He spent three years of his life there teaching and preaching and building the church up. But I think it was a church at times must have exasperated him. Uh, they seemed to do everything, which was very commendable, but they seemed to do everything to excess which was frustrating and prompted him to put pen to vellum or whatever it was in those days to to send this letter and remind them of some of the things they needed to uh, sort out. In the very next chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, he, he has to write a whole passage about spiritual gifts. Here was a church that was very open about using the spiritual gifts, about prophecy, about words of wisdom. Uh, about sharing together in this way, but but they kind of done it to an excess, so that it just brought chaos to the church rather than confusion. And Paul has to write to correct some views about spiritual gifts. Here he's writing to correct some wrong practices about communion. And as I said before, it's a passage that, that many of us will be very familiar with. We hear it very often. And often there can be two reactions to that. One, because we've heard it so often, the words just kind of drift over us. We, we almost know them by heart, for I receive what I pass on to you. Those of us that have been here for a number of years taking communion, that, that passage is very, very familiar. It can just roll over us. Or we can read the passage and think, well, yeah, Paul was talking to this crazy, mixed-up, weird Corinthian church. It's really not kind of applicable to us. I I don't think we're any in danger of kind of getting drunk or kind of uh, trampling each other in the rush to the bread and wine this morning. You know, we're we're not going to fall into that excess. So maybe this was something Paul just needed to talk to the Corinthians. That's their story, their problem. I'm not really sure why that's applicable to us. But you see, Paul's words are important to us. It's important for us to look at communion and to understand what he's saying about it. So I want you to come on a journey with me this morning. I want you to come on a journey that's going to take us 2,000 or so years into the past, but also a journey that's going to take us a week or so into the future. That might seem a little bit strange. But when I talk of communion, let's start by just for a moment Setting aside the bread and the wine. We'll come back to that in a moment. But when Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, when he's correcting the Corinthian church for their wrong practices, he's talking into not a traditional ceremony with bread and wine as we have today, um, but a very different environment. The, The church, the early church, you see, they didn't have church buildings. They, frankly, didn't have Sundays off. Uh, when they met, they would just meet together. They would meet together probably in the homes of the people that had the the biggest room where you could get everybody in, but they would just kind of meet in public. And when they did that, they would all bring food. They would share that food together. They would talk together. They would pray together. They would do various things together. And as we've been reminded next week, we've got a picnic. We've got a picnic. Hopefully, the sun's going to shine. We're going to all bring some food for us to, to eat, to share with one another. We're going to have a great time. And if you can picture that, if you can think ahead to a week's time, that picnic, that food sharing, that, that time together was a little bit like the, the, the meetings that the early church had. And as part of that meeting, there will be a time where bread and wine were involved. Those were pretty staple foods of the time, where the church would particularly remember the death of Christ. But Paul is writing them and saying, this thing has kind of got a bit out of hand. You're having this picnic, but but everybody's getting a bit carried away. I mean, imagine next week if we were to all come to that picnic uh, and just plonk ourselves down in our, our little family groups And ignore everybody else, ignore perhaps any people who were visiting or coming for the first time. Oh no, this is my family, this is my food. Imagine we didn't share with the people that hadn't bought any food. Uh, Imagine that uh, uh, all the food that was there, that was for everyone, was nicely laid out uh, on some tables out there. And some folks at 11.30, they just made a beeline for the uh, food, filled up their plates, so that when some folks came along at 12 o'clock or quarter to 12, there was nothing left. That wouldn't be terribly good. Nothing wrong with wine. If you want to bring a bottle of wine next, I'm pretty sure that's okay. Bring a bottle of wine. But again, uh, what happens when somebody just drinks to excess and starts to embarrass themselves? That's the sort of thing that Paul's talking to about. And also, it's not the fact that that would be bad enough if all of that were kind of done behind closed doors amongst ourselves. That, That would be bad enough. But this was public, this was out in the open sometimes. Not just in homes, but again, just in in the open air. And imagine if we did that, imagine what our neighbours would think. If we had not a party, but a kind of a riot. It wouldn't be a great witness to what we stand for as Christians. And so Paul is writing to this church because a feast had become a farce. And he says, this is what we need to correct. He needs to remind them of what they're doing. So I want to really uh, look at what Paul is saying. Paul, very quickly, point out three things that I think Paul wants to remind us of. First thing is the origins. How did communion start? Why did communion start? What is it all about? The origins of communion. Uh, It says in verse 23, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he gave given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This, this is where we start. This is where we start. Paul is reminding his readers that their picnic should be a remembrance of the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, the time when Jesus uh, shared bread and wine, sat down with his disciples for the last time. But Paul... The the consummate Jewish teacher wants to remind his readers of something even deeper than that. You see, it's not just that they're remembering Jesus' death on the cross. It's not just that they're remembering this Last Supper. They're looking back even deeper and further in time to the Passover. If we can have the next slide. You see, Jesus and his disciples had gathered together for the Passover this is a famous painting, I'm sure, uh, probably apart from the Mona Lisa, this is probably the most famous painting that people might think of. It's uh, Michelangelo's painting of the Last Supper. Uh, it's, a, it's a great painting. You have Jesus in the middle sharing the bread and wine with his disciples. And at the moment, this is, this is painted at the moment when Jesus declares that one of those seated around the table is going to betray him. And Michelangelo captures that, that moment of kind of shock and horror on the disciples' uh, faces. Uh, Peter, uh, he's the guy in the middle, in the, in the blue, if you can see it. Very crafty. Peter has a kind of a knife hidden behind his back. It's kind of foreshadowing the violence in Gethsemane, where Peter is going to oppose uh, Jesus being arrested. Uh, John, he's the youngest disciple. He's the one who's kind of almost kind of fallen into a faint here and a swoon. Uh, philip, philip he's got his arms outstretched. What's going on? And then you've got this group of three at the end, uh, Thaddeus, I think it's Matthew, and they're all turning to Simon the Zealot, saying, you know, as if he's got some answers as to what this is that Jesus is saying. So it's this very powerful moment, this very powerful scene where Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. I'm going to my death, that's bad enough, but one of you is going to betray me. And what Paul is saying is, as you celebrate communion you need to remember that it's this table that you're invited to as well. It's this table that you're invited to come and share bread and wine with. It's this table that you're invited to sit at. It's this table that you're invited to come around to sit with Jesus, to speak with Jesus. And you see, what Paul is reminding his readers of in that sense was this just wasn't a meal that happened because Jesus was going away and um, Michael is, is you still Michael back to was it next week back to Birmingham and uh, yeah uh, your, your folks are abroad already aren't they yeah kind of, if if this was a family that, that kind of kept two feet on the ground in one place at any time for any length of time I guess they'd be taking you out for a meal wouldn't they hey we're not going to see you for six months Let's take you out for dinner somewhere where are mum and dad Uganda, okay, so, so we're not going to get to um, harvester in Uganda anytime soon. But, but I trust you get the principle with me. A, a family, if, if, if any of Michael were going off for six months, say, hey, go out for a meal, celebrate, we're not going to see you for six months. That's not what's going here. You know, Jesus could be saying, hey, I'm going away, guys, I am going away. Let's have a meal to celebrate the fact that I'm not going to be around for a bit. Now, that was true. That was true. But what these guys are meeting to celebrate was the Passover. It was a traditional Jewish festival, a traditional Jewish celebration. And that's why they actually gathered together. And the Passover was important because it's where the people of God remembered how God had saved them in history. How when they were slaves and captives in Egypt how God had rescued them and Moses had instructed the people to sacrifice a lamb and paint the blood on the the doorposts and then the angel of death would pass by those people. It's It's a long story in Exodus, but God had rescued his people through the sacrifice of a lamb. And it's that Passover, where the angel of death passed over the people of God, that the people gather every year to celebrate. And that's what Jesus is doing here with his disciples. He's celebrating the Passover. And so what Paul indirectly is reminding his people of is their history, their heritage, their origins. Because Jesus himself is their Passover lamb. As they remember this meal, they remember that there was blood about to be shed that brought in a far deeper and far more lasting covenant. The sacrifices in the Old Testament had to be done year after year after year because they weren't perfect. When Jesus died on the cross, he died once and for all. And when John the Baptist first saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, look, when you have this meal, yes, look back to the Last Supper. Look back to Christ's death, but look back even further to the Passover, to how God has constantly, continually worked with his people, rescued his people, saved his people. You see, with our historical perspective, we, we, we join all these things together quite seamlessly. We join them all to see, we, we, we see the, the, the Last Supper, we see the Passover from our perspective of history. But this is new. Paul is giving his people important instructions here. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That's kind of a really interesting phrase, isn't it? Because what did Paul receive from the Lord to deliver to others? Paul's not there. Matthew, John, James, Thaddeus, Jude, I can't name all 12, but all the 12 are there. But but Paul's not there. Paul didn't receive the bread and the wine from Jesus. So when Paul says, I received from the Lord what I pass on to you, well, what is he actually saying? Is it that, Subsequent to Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples, and when, because Paul at this moment, Paul at this moment is Saul. He's the one that's shortly going to be persecuting the Christians. Paul is certainly not at this table. Maybe in years to come, before Paul wrote Corinthians, as now Paul, as now as a Christian, one of these disciples shared communion with him. Maybe he's saying, well, actually, yeah, I've got it from Matthew, and indirectly from the Lord in that sense, and I'm passing this on to you. Maybe he read about it in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all talk about the Last Supper. Maybe Paul has done his homework as a new Christian. He's reading his Bible. He's reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Last Supper. He makes the connection. He says, yeah, I've received this. There's only one problem with that. When Paul writes Corinthians, Matthew, Mark and Luke and the other Gospels hadn't been written yet. Corinthians was written before the Gospels. We'd have an interesting Bible if we actually put our Bible in chronological order in which the books were written. It would run slightly differently. Corinthians was written in about 55 AD. (coughs) Excuse me. The other Gospels weren't written until 10, 20 years later. So, Paul, when he says, For I received from the Lord, he's not just getting some passed down instruction from another new church leader. He's receiving this from God Himself. He's making this link that this Last Supper is not just a meal that Jesus had with His disciples, it's something for the church. It's something for the church to remind them of their history and their origins and their heritage. And Paul says, I received this from the Lord as a word of knowledge, as a vision, as an instruction, as a spiritual truth. It was not given to me by human understanding. That's why, that's why Paul thinks this is so important, why this is so powerful. Why Paul wants his people to get communion. We're in acting out a spiritual truth. God has great plans for his people. Throughout history, he's had great plans. Plans for his people. That's what we remember in communion. And if you're here this morning again as, as, a, as a newcomer, who's someone that a lot of this is still new to you, then that's a truth for you to hold on to. Whether you understand all the, the, the stuff that I've been saying or not, the truth that you need to hold on to is God has plans and purposes for you. That's what history tells us. That's what history encourages us to be part of this. And so we have this this feast, this fast that Paul is trying to correct that reminds them that the bread and the wine remind them of something deeper. And of course, over the years, this became more formalized. It became more traditional so that people would take the the, the elements, as we call them, the bread and the wine, in a slightly more traditional, in a slightly more formal setting. There wouldn't be a load of other food around. And again, different ideas uh, would come. Um, the Catholic Church, for instance, uh, they, would, they would suggest that as you take the bread and the wine, it actually becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's a difficult idea to get our head around. It's something that, it's a doctrine called transubstantiation. Uh, and you remember a couple of years ago, we were celebrating the, the Reformation, the, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. This was one of the great things that divided people at the time. The Catholic Church would have a very, very high view of communion, such that actually ordinary people weren't allowed to take it. You, you guys, you, you couldn't take part of this. This is far too important. It's only the clergy, excuse me as well. I don't think we've got, have we got any clergy here this morning? I don't actually think we've got any clergy here this morning. You see, if we want to jump back 500 years, there's kind of nobody here who's able to take communion. Because this was the, the body of Christ. What if, what if we dropped it? What if we spilt some of it? And that's why we try, And I'm not mocking tradition, seriously, I'm not. I want you to understand this is where, where we've come from and where, why we do things the way we do now. Um, and that's why, actually, if you go to more traditional churches, that's why the bread and the wine will be consumed at the end. The clergyman, the priest, the pastor will make sure that all the bread is eaten, all the wine is drunk, because. We don't want to leave stuff behind. That would be disrespectful. And so, for, for, for at the time of the Reformation, the Catholic Church would say that they would focus on that particular phrase that said, this is my body. And interestingly enough, Luther, who's the champion of the Reformation, Luther, don't forget, was a monk himself. So he still had a very high, very Catholic view of communion. But it was other people like Ulrich Zwingli and John Calvin who said, actually, no, the phrase you need to focus on is not, this is my body, but, do this in remembrance of me. These are symbols, this is a picture, this is something that reminds us. And so, far from being a mill that nobody here could have participated in 500 years ago, a wonderful event took place in 1521 when a guy called Andreas Kalstart held a communion service in Leipzig in Germany, and not only did he speak in Latin, or sorry, he didn't speak in Latin, he spoke in German, so that the actual common people, for the very first time in their own native tongue, heard, this is my body, broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. But he also broke the bread and the wine, and he actually offered it to the ordinary lay people. We have no idea how extraordinary that was. One guy was, was shaking so much because hey, this was the body of Christ. He was shaking so much. He did. He dropped the bread. He dropped the bread. What's going to happen? This guy, he's just trembling. He dropped the bread. Cal Start just smiled at him and offered him another piece. He said, do this in remembrance of Christ's death. This is what we celebrate. I've moved on. We need another slide. I've kind of drifted into this one. We've talked about the purpose of communion. And the, the key thing is, because we're remembering something, because we're remembering something, the bread and the wine are symbols. They're not the body and the blood of Christ. They're important. It's important that we take, when we take communion, we do it with reverence and a sense of why we're doing it. That's what this morning is all aware about. But because they're symbols, it can be grape juice it doesn't have to be wine it can be gluten-free bread i don't think the disciples around the last table with jesus were terribly worried if there was gluten-free bread on offer or not but again again and please don't hear what i'm not saying i want to be i'm not making light of this this is an inclusive meal so if you are somebody who is gluten intolerant or has allergies or concerns about doing that we want you to participate in this so yes there's gluten-free Uh, bread there. Uh, The bread is is a loaf, but some people will chop it into little cubes, Uh, some people will have a glass of wine, others will have a little uh, single pot of of wine that they will drink. Again, harking back to my Baptist days, which was not high tradition, but it was probably a little bit more formal than, than what we do. Um, as a Baptist church, we, we would have these little pots of wine, and what would happen is the bread would be passed round, and you would take a piece of bread, and you would eat that individually to remind you of your individual salvation, your individual relationship with God. And then you would take this little individual pot of wine, and, and you'd all hang on to that. I, I'd be terrified of spilling mine, and, but, but you were meant to hang on to that until everybody had got one. And then the guy at the front would say a prayer, and you'd all drink that together as a symbol of your unity and your oneness. Again, as a kind of a, a teenager, I'd be desperately sort of making sure that I didn't go too soon or too last. So I'd be glancing to the left, to the right. Do we go now? You know? but, but there was this thing about, yeah, you drink the wine together. Now, again, different churches will all do these things differently. That's absolutely fine. Some folks, the guy at the front, will hand the wine and the bread out. In other instances, we'll invite you to a table, which is probably what we're gonna do when we finish this morning. Uh, sometimes the, the wine can be in a in a glass that we share together, sometimes it can be individual, sometimes you can dip the bread in the wine. This is fine. There are no rules, there are no set instructions on this because it's something we're doing in remembrance. They're symbols. The one stipulation is that we are people that recognize Jesus as our salvation. It's a meal uh, for believers. We should say also, if I can dip back in just to a little bit of, uh, I don't know, theology, history, whatever you want to call it, I have to do it, I mentioned the Catholic Church already. There are important things that we hear from this because we actually talk of communion as being a sacrament. It's not a word that we would use very much now in the Reformed Church because we do recognize this as a symbol. But it's important to understand that the idea of a sacrament is an act or an activity or something that we do that enables God to bless us in a very specific way. Now, if you've been here this morning, all of us have been blessed through our praise, through our worship, through the prayers that have been said, through the testimonies that have been given. If you are a Christian or not a Christian, then you have been blessed this morning through the things that we have done. But there are nevertheless specific activities that we focus on that say, these are a particular way in which God can bless us. The the Catholic Church has seven. I'm not going to list them all. You can look that one up if you're interested. We have two. We've heard on to two. Communion being one, baptism being the other, as two really important practices. In baptism, people are blessed through recognizing that they can identify with the death of Christ. As people are baptized and go down into the water, rise up again, they're saying, I identify with the death and resurrection of Christ. And in that way, I can be blessed. In baptism, we identify with Christ's death. In communion, we recognise Christ's death, but we celebrate our oneness, our fellowship with Christ. The fact that we are invited to this table to take bread and wine. So the two sacraments that you have remind us of Christ's death and our ongoing relationship with him. Those are really important things to be reminded of. And then lastly, before we take communion... Have I got a third point? I must have a third point. Of course I've got a third point. There we go. What happens as a result of communion? Again, I've said this already, we're blessed. But one of the things that's really important is this bit in the passage where Paul talks about examining ourselves. Because this is something that I think we can sometimes miss and sometimes misinterpret. Because what we tend to do is we tend to say, look, this is an important meal that we're gathering around. We need to make sure that we're right with God and we're right with one another. That's the kind of thing that we say, isn't it? Examine yourself. Make sure that you're in a good place to take communion. Now, that in and of itself is absolutely right and absolutely proper. I'm not dismissing any of that. It's, it's actually impossible, nearly impossible, isn't it, to have a meal with people that you don't get on with. That's really difficult, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever actually had to do that. If you've actually been invited to dinner and there's a group there and there's some folks there or an individual that you really do not like, that you do not get on with. That's really hard. You can't do that. And so when we gather for a meal, it's absolutely right that we're instructed to say, look, is there anything between us, anything that we need to put right? Let's put that right and then come and celebrate together. And that's right, but there's something deeper here that I think we can sometimes miss. And we've actually touched on it this morning, I think, through some of the testimonies that we've had. Because it's more than just saying, am I worthy to come to this table? Can we have the, go back a couple of pictures and have good old Michelangelo's painting back up again? It always helps to, to kind of see that. See, we can look at this, and I just want to ask the question, these guys... Which of these were worthy to sit round this table with Jesus? Because one of them was going to betray him. The rest of them in a few days were going to be gone to the four corners. They they weren't going to stand by him. Peter was going to deny him three times. If we were to grab hold of any of these guys and say, in the cold light of day, are you worthy to come before this table? The honest answer would be, no, we're not. You see, when we come to communion, that's kind of what we're examining ourselves and reminding ourselves of. It's this core truth of the gospel. That in and of myself, I am not worthy. I cannot win my salvation. I cannot secure my place at this table through my activities. If I think I'm worthy, if I think I have a right to come... And I've almost excluded myself. There's a person that says, No, I'm, I'm a wretched sinner. I have nothing. I have no righteousness in of myself. And it's to those folks that Jesus says, Come, sit at my table. And so as we take communion, it isn't just a case, Am I okay with everybody else? Yes, that, that's a good thing to ask. I hope you get this point. But equally, It's that moment to remember, I bring nothing to my salvation. It's Christ alone, his death, that does this. We're going to share communion in a moment. Uh, Again, I've wanted to stress this morning the fact that this is a meal that we don't so much stand on tradition. So I would really encourage you to participate in this in the variety that we have, uh, I'm going to um, break some of this bread in half. This, I don't want to stand on tradition, but, but Jesus said, you know, this is my body broken for you. This is so important that we remember this. But what I'm going to do is, there's some bread, it's on that plate there, and we have some wine here. And this one's just going to go on the back table down there. So if you want to uh, gather around that back table, maybe with some friends, maybe with some family, take communion together. Thanks, Chris, you just pop that on the back table. Yeah. OK, there you go. And then if you particularly want gluten-free bread, uh, then do come to the front. Uh, there's some gluten-free bread here. You may want to dip the wine. You may want to drink the wine. You may want to break a bit of bread off. Well, I think you've only got the choice of baking a bit of bread off. Um, But again, share with family, share with friends. You may want to pray together. You may want to say to somebody, I'm sorry, forgive me. You may want to put something right. You may uh, have other needs for prayer, for healing. Uh, You may be facing difficult week, difficult circumstances. It's a great opportunity to, as you share bread and wine, to say to the folks around you, would you just pray with me as we do that? You may want to serve one another rather than ask each other to take the bread and the wine. I um, have been really blessed uh, by uh, Joe particularly stepping up and uh, supporting us as Steve's on sabbatical. So I'm just going to kind of come and I want to feel it's right to just serve Joe and Amy bread and wine. Just to recognize uh, how much they're blessing us, the body of Christ broken for you. and the blood of Jesus shed for you. Thank you so much for the blessing that you've been to us and are to us. Amy, thank you. As we do that, Joe and Amy are going to help us with some music just to give us some background as we want to pray together, want to share together. But I hope that's clear. I hope you sense the sense that we are having a meal together. There's a wonderful balance that we need to find between not losing the tradition and the history and the purpose of communion, but at the same time recognizing that we are a family, that we do this together. We do this with one another and we can do it in so many different ways. So again, without being formal, can I encourage you, come take the bread and the wine, come and pray with each other, come and share with each other, come and bless each other. Amen.